Let us pray. Our precious Father, we want to thank you for the privilege we have to gather again tonight to listen to your word. We trust you, merciful Father, that you will speak to us by your spirit and help us to understand your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, today we are talking about uh, how faith works, but there are some things we need to talk about that will help us to really understand how faith works. There are things we need to talk about and put it by the side so that we flow better in understanding how faith works. Last week, we were looking at what faith is not. And one thing we said is faith is not presumption. Presumption is assumption that are not proven to be true by scripture, but are widely held or people hold them as true and practice them, but they are not true. And the reason why people live in presumption is that many are just comfortable doing that because that's the way we normally live our lives. They say old habits die hard. We never take the time to study a manual to be able to couple a new gadget that's the makers put in the gadget when we got them. We never really try and make any effort to study to know how to couple them. We go ahead and start coupling them, you know, just believing we can handle it. And then we never take time to find out about the washing instructions on our new dresses. We wash it, shrinks, and we ruin it. We just never take time to get the correct information. We, we need because it takes effort. And we do not want to put in that extra time and effort that can save even time and save us money, sometimes even save life. Now, this attitude is carried over in so many things we do, and now in Christianity we do the same. We do things in presumption, and then uh, we find out we're working the wrong thing. We don't get the result. It's not working. But we still keep doing them because we don't know that what we are doing is wrong. And then uh, look at the example of what we are talking about, faith. We say that we have faith. But we have no idea what faith is. If I said I'm walking in faith and I'm not able to define what faith is, how can I be sure now that what I'm claiming that I'm doing is the real thing. How can somebody say, I'm walking in faith when he has no idea what faith looks like? He can't even define it. He doesn't even know the basic elements of it. So how is he sure, how is she sure that what she's doing is faith? On what basis is that assumption based? You see how we walk in presumption and we, we walk in error. We walk in error. You know, what you don't know what it looks like, how do you know that you have it? And it's the same thing we do about salvation when we do not even know how to be saved or what being saved means. We walk in presumption regarding salvation. And it is very, very, very dangerous to do because you may not be saved. You may spend all your life and you are not saved and you go to church and you are not saved. But when you die, you are not going to heaven. 
So we, we do this distance, and there are people who go to church who assume that they are saved. They just assume. And you ask them, are you saved? They say, yeah, and how are you saved? They will never give you one single Bible-based reason, not one proof from the scripture upon which they can say, I'm saved. So they just joined the church, and they simply assume that joining the church is being saved. Something because they now have a title, maybe pastor saved. So they are now saved. Others say, because God answers my prayer. And of course, it doesn't even show proof that God answers his prayer. But they say, God answers my prayer, and so I am now saved. Some others said, I've stopped all the evil I used to do. I'm doing them no more, which is an obvious lie. It's an obvious lie. You don't get saved and you stop everything overnight because you're born a baby and you grow. So when somebody makes that claim, you know he doesn't have an idea what salvation is. He doesn't have an idea at all. And, in, in, and there's no mention of Christ the Savior. There's no reference to the Savior. There's no reference to faith in him. That we are saved by grace through faith. There's no mention of grace, no mention of faith in Christ, no mention of the Savior himself. There is nothing. And then many claim they are saved and have no idea what being saved means. Ignorance destroys more people spiritually than anything else. And nobody has any scripture that says that when you go to church, you are saved. Nobody has any scripture that says that you pray yourself because God answered your prayer yourself. No scripture like that. Nothing like that. Yet many people give it as an example. Now look at what the Bible says. Let's even look at this one because it's so serious. Because if you are not saved, you're not going to heaven. It doesn't matter if you sing in the church or preach as a pastor. For many years I was preaching in churches. I wasn't even saved. I was not saved. And I argued I was saved. I argued I was saved. In fact, I told them, how can I not be saved? I was a member of a committee in the church. And I was preaching. My father was a pastor. So are you telling me I'm not saved? I've made that argument for many years. I thought I was saved. I was just walking in presumption. So see what the scripture, so see the Bible reason for being saved. John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. As many as received him. All these people, all these things people talk about is not included in this. As many as received him, to them gave him power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. So somebody can say, yeah, I'm saved. I believe in the name of Jesus Christ. I've received him into my life. That would be a Bible-based reason that you know such a person is saved. But all these things, I don't do what I used to do. God answers my prayer. I'm a, I'm a member of the committee. I'm this and this. It's not included in any scripture at all. Because salvation is not from what we do. It's from what Christ did. Now, Romans 8, 9. 
but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that Christ, that the spirit of God dwell in you, that if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If you don't have Christ in you, if you have not received Christ into your life, you are not saved, you don't belong to him. It's as simple as that. That's why he's the savior. That's why he's the only hope of mankind. And then, presumption has been there for a long time. It's been, it's been part of fallen nature, though. To presume things without, without being sure that what you are doing is right. It, uh, our Lord Jesus encountered it. So in John 5, 39, he says, you saw the scriptures, for in them you think, you think, this is what people think, you think you have eternal life. You cite the scriptures, you think by reading the Bible you have life. You think by praying you have life. You think by coming fasting you are saved. You th- it's you thinking. It's from your thinking. You think that religious activities, being in front, being an usher or whatever it means you are now saved, Actually, some people, you ask them, are you saved? They get angry. They really get mad. They say, they think, they feel insulted. That tells you, that person is not saved. Because if you are saved, you will be so glad to share your joyful experience of being saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. It will be your joy to share it anywhere, anytime. So they think they have eternal life. And he said, and they are there with it. The scriptures you are reading are they quit testify of me. The scriptures are pointing to the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. Verse 40. And you will not come to me that you might have life. You need to come to Christ and receive him to have life. Because the life he's given is in him. John 16 from verse 1. I've told you this thing so that you won't abandon your faith. For you will be expelled from the synagogues. And the time is coming, listen to this, when, when those who kill you will think, they will think they are doing a holy service for God. People have worked in presumption for years. So they think by killing the disciples that they are doing a holy service for God. They think it's presumption. And the same thing goes to Holy Spirit baptism. And people teach things that there's no verse of the Bible that supports it. There is not even one example in the Bible that supports it. And a whole denomination of people are just assuming these things and just believing them. Teaching people that you know you get baptized in the Holy Spirit at one point, And then at another point you get baptized with tongues. It's, it's not biblical. It's not Bible. It's false doctrine. And people walk in this presumption. And then they use examples. They tell you, you know, look at Luke chapter 1 verse 41, some of the things they quote. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth had the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. They say, see, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost, so and he, she didn't speak in tongues. So you can be filled with the Holy Ghost separately, 
And then later on, you, get, you start get baptized in tongues. It's not true. Luke 1, 67. And his father Zachariah was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying. Now, what these people don't understand is they don't have an idea the difference between the Old Testament and New. They are confusing themselves. They don't know the difference. Jesus made all the difference. So they're confusing everything. They think that the Old Testament and the New Testament is the same. It's like joining old cloth and new that Jesus warned us never to do. Now listen, God has always done things by his spirit. Has always done things by his spirit. He said it to the prophet, through the prophet in Zechariah 4. Then he answered and spoke unto me saying, this is the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord said unto Zerubbabel. Say, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, said the Lord of hosts. So God has always done things by his spirit. If God wants to use a man, he, he anoints him. He has always done it. He has always done it. But that's not the baptism of the Holy Spirit, for God's sake. You can look at Samuel, look at Saul, and look at David. When God fired Saul, he took his spirit off him and put it on David that he hired. Because God will anoint the prophet to be in the office of prophet. He will anoint the king to be in the office of the king. He will, he will, he will, he will anoint the, 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 anybody that he wants to use. He, he, the, you hear the Bible say, the hand of the Lord came upon so-so to do so-so-so-so. Because it's by his spirit, he's always, he has always been doing things. That does not translate to baptism of the Holy Spirit. New Testament is totally different. Look at 1 Samuel 16, 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil. Because that's what they will always do. They will pour oil on you to anoint you to be king, anoint you to be prophet. They pour oil on you. And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward because he was being anointed to be king over Israel. God was going to use him. So God anointed him, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah, 14. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. God fired Saul. And so he didn't need him. He took his anointing from him. That was it. And then demons began to trouble him. Look at Ezekiel. I'm just reading these things to show you that God has always used the Spirit to do things through people. But that's not bad. We see why it's not baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, Ezekiel 11:5. And the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me. This is, this is Ezekiel. And said unto me, Speak. Thus said the Lord, Thus have you said, O house of Israel, for I know the things that come into your mind and every one of them. The Spirit of the Lord fell on him. Fell on him. We must know that all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the, the seven of them operated in the entire New Old Testament. All of them. The only ones, the two that didn't operate was tongues and interpretation. They are the gifts, they are the manifestations of the Holy Spirit that no Old Testament person experienced. None of them. God used them in all this word of knowledge, word of wisdom, and all those things. But tongues and interpretation, no, it was reserved 
for the New Testament saints and you see why. You will understand why. 1 Corinthians 14, 14. But if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit, my spirit by the Holy Spirit within me prays, but my mind is unproductive. It bears no fruit and helps nobody. So you see that tongues and interpretation is reserved for New Testament things because all these people we read about, Ezekiel, and all these people that God anointed, they, they were dead in sin and trespasses. Their spirit was not alive at all. And they didn't have the spirit that could speak in tongues. None. A dead spirit would not speak in tongues. They were dead, all of them. Nobody had life until Jesus brought life. Nobody in the Old Testament had it. That's why Jesus said the least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. The least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. Because in the kingdom of God, they have life. They have the spirit of Christ. Which John didn't have. So, the, 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 the manifestation of, of, of speaking in tongues was for the New Testament saints. Because our spirit came alive. Jesus gave us new life. We received life. So, our spirit, spirit became active. So, your spirit could now talk. So the Holy Spirit could now anoint your spirit and inspire your spirit to speak in tongues. He says, for if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit, which they didn't have, by the Holy Spirit within me, prays. My spirit prays. Before you got saved, you couldn't be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Your spirit was dead like all of them. Like all of them. Nobody was baptized with the Holy Spirit until the appointed day of the Pentecost when the outpouring came. They had the anointing of the Holy Spirit in a measure. All of that was in a measure. But the church has the fullness of him. The Bible says Christ is the fullness of God. And we have Christ in us. We have the fullness, his full, fullness in us. That's why we're complete. So nobody got baptized in the Holy Spirit until the outpouring time came. God had an appointed time when he will now pour. This was, they were being anointed. Yes, they were being anointed. The Spirit was using them. But they didn't have the outpouring. They didn't. It was reserved for the New Testament saints, the church, the body of Christ, the body of Jesus was the one that was going to, the, the bride of God. They were the ones that were going to have the outpouring. Some of those prophets prophesied about these things, but they did not experience them, says the Bible. They saw them ahead, but they never experienced them. They were the ones it was, we were the ones it is made for. The outpouring of the power of God, of the spirit of God. Nobody had it until the appointed time. Acts 2 from verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, when the day God appointed for the Spirit of God to arrive on earth came, Jesus said, I must go, so he will come. He will come. They were all with one accord in one place. Verse 2. And suddenly, there came a sound from heaven. 
he arrived as of a rushing mighty wind and filled all the house where they were sitting. When the Holy Spirit arrived, he arrived with noise. Jesus came, came in the manger. This one came with power. He arrived as a rushing mighty wind and he filled all the house where they were sitting because the time had come. Verse 3. And there, there appeared unto them cloven tongues as of fire and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them all trance. Because they now, Jesus had risen up and given life to them. They now have life. They were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were his witnesses. Their spirit is alive now. So the Holy Spirit came in his fullness. Human body cannot contain it. You, God needed the spirit of man that could contain the anointing of God at that fullness, at that measure. So the Spirit of God gave them utterance which no Old Testament person could have. Nobody could have it before the cross. It was not possible. And Jesus said the reason this are, and you know the, the look at um, Acts 2.16 that Peter was explaining this thing. But this is that which was spoken by prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days. So this is not an event of the former days. The last days is the church age. It is the New Testament, the body of Christ, the body of Jesus was receiving the fullness of divine blessing. Before the church, nobody was part of the body of Jesus. None. How could they receive the fullness of God? None until Jesus came and we became part of the body of Christ and God was pouring out this thing on, on the body of his son, the church. Pouring it out on the church. And then he said, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel and it shall come to pass in the last days, says the Lord, not in the Old Testament, I will pour out. These people were anointed limitless. Limited. But this is outpouring. The, the, the letter rain. The rain. The massive outpouring. That drenches you when you get baptized. In the Holy Spirit. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream this. And on my servants and on my handmaids. I will pour out in those days my spirit. And they shall prophesy. This is the outpouring brethren. It's not the same thing that Zechariah has had. Zechariah was not a part of the body of Christ. He couldn't have the fullness of it. We have the, 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 all the blessings of heaven. All of it. Because we are the body of Christ. We are the body of Jesus. We are heirs of God. Joint heirs. They were not. We are heirs of God and joint heirs of Jesus. Inheriting all the blessings of heaven. We are. We, the church is the bride of Christ. Clothed in righteousness and power, which nobody else had the privilege to have. And then Jesus said, But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So, how could somebody receive the Holy Spirit with power to witness who, for who when Jesus hadn't even come? 
The purpose is to be witnesses for Jesus. So we can do the same thing he did. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he said, he anointed me to do this, preach the gospel, heal the sick. We do the same thing with the same anointing on him. The same power of the spirit of God on him. What gospel will these people preach? When Jesus hasn't even come. When he hasn't even died. Salvation was not made available. What were they witnessing? This is the power to witness salvation to mankind so that they are saved. You see, that you couldn't talk about baptism of the Holy Spirit until Jesus came, died, and rose again. You couldn't. You couldn't. Because they were not going to be given that because they were not bought up part of his body and they were not going to witness about Jesus that hadn't died. Salvation was not made available. And the church age is the last days. 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Now, all these things happened unto them for an example. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. We are the church with the last days. So, to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was reserved for the last days, for the end of the ages, the church age, not pre-church age. A Christian should understand that. And it comes with speaking in tongues. You get baptized. The Bible told us that they got baptized and they started to speak in tongues. You have all the examples there. Acts chapter 19 and so many other, other ones. Where they got baptized. And how did, the, how did the Jews know that the Gentiles got the Holy Spirit? Because they were preaching the gospel to them. And God saw they believed it and baptized them. And Peter said, whoa, these people are speaking in tongues like we, they have received the same thing. They have. They had them speak in tongues. That was proof. That was proof. It's still proof today. It is, there's nothing like being baptized one day and then being baptized in tongues another day. It's wrong doctrine. It's no Bible that teaches that. There's no one single example for that. Tongues is what belongs to the church. We speak in tongues. We speak in the language of God. Because we are joined to the spirit of Christ. And Jesus warns against presumption. Mark 6, 23. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. When your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep is that darkness? He said, the light you think you have, if it's darkness, you are in deep darkness. In very deep darkness. And then there are people who twist the scripture to suit their denominational do pet doctrines. Denominational pet doctrines. And they quote all their big, huge authorities and people with all my degrees attached to their name. They don't need a degree to know Jesus. Don't. Degrees don't interpret the word of God to anybody. It's the Holy Spirit that gives the revelation. For the word is spirit. It's not subject to human, human intellectualism. Look at Galatians 1.6. I am shocked that you are turned away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way now that pretends to be the good news. But it's not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. 
there are people today who still deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ so as to support their pet doctrines, so as to support their, doctrine, their denominational pet doctrines. The another reason for slothfulness is the spirit of slothfulness. I mean, another reason for presumption is the spirit of slothfulness and lukewarmness has pervaded the body of Christ. It's the spirit of the last days, the Bible warned us about, that the love of many will wax cold. Brethren is here. It's totally here. And then the, the, the things, look at uh, Romans 12, 11. It says, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Not lagging. Then King James says, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. That's the way we should be. We should be fervent in seeking the truth, in studying scriptures, in prayers, in serving the Lord with fervency. That's the primary thing. That's the primary thing, brethren. But the spirit of slothfulness has come, so we do, we do no more search scriptures diligently to be sure that what we believe is true, like the Berean Christians did. There is this leisure, spirit of leisure, entertainment mentality, sitting on the couch and eating popcorn. It's pervaded, it has weakened people. Totally weakened people. Entertainment. Even they brought entertainment to church. Carried it to church. Entertainment. Leisure. It's not your fault. Advertisement tell you, oh no, it's not your fault that you added weight. And they now give you products and say, no, it's not your fault. Okay, we have answer. This shifting responsibility thing, it makes somebody not take responsibility for his life. Responsibility for knowing the truth. Finding time to start scriptures. Oh, we blame everybody else and sit on the couch and still know nothing. That's the spirit of the last days. It's right here. It destroys the ability for excellence in anything. Because if you don't labor, if you don't work hard, you, got, you don't, don't get anything out of it. Look at Paul, Galatians 4.19. My little children, of whom I travel in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Does this look like slothfulness? Does it look like a, a, a apathy? Does it, does, does it look like lethargic approach? To the things of God? Does this sound like somebody who is apathetic to scriptures and the things of God? My little children of whom I travel in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Colossians 2, 2, 2. I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and the church in Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me especially, personally. I want to, them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. Look, does this sound like a lethargic attitude to the things of God? Does this sound like a leisure effect? Is there any apathy to this? Does, this? does it look like apathy? With this a strong desire? 
So we must be careful because we live in the last days. Television. Oh my God. We watch for hours and there are wonderful shows to watch. Games. We watch games. Leisure. The spirit of le- is here. Entertainment is here. We glue to it. Internet. Whoa. Phone. Opera. But it's pulling the rug under our feet. Because we start being presumptive and start losing the love we have for Jesus. And where this thing is going is not good to talk about. But it's going somewhere that's not good at all. Not good at all. I'm telling you, it's not good at all. So let's just revisit this topic about, you know, how faith comes. Because it is very important. That we are established in how faith comes. Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing. Faith, just, faith doesn't come by simply hearing once. There is hearing and hearing. Hearing and hearing. You need to break through a lot of stuff in your heart, in my heart that blocks the word of God from going through. You think they're not there? They build up, they're there. Second Peter 1.19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto we do well that you take heed as unto a light, a light that shineth in a dark place. It's writing to Christians. It's telling Christians there is squalor somewhere in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arises in your heart. Amplify, put, amplify, put it like this. And we have the prophetic word made farmer still. You will do well to pay close attention to it as a lamp shining in a dismal, squalid, and dark place. Until the day breaks through the gloom, the morning star rises, comes into being in your heart. Destroys all this lethargic attitude, all this apathetic attitude, all this leisure stuff. Psalm 119, 130. The entrance of thy words giveth light and giveth understanding unto the simple. If it doesn't enter, there is no light, there is no understanding, there is no faith. It has to enter. It has to. Peter said, you got to keep at it here and here and here and here and here until it pierces through the squalor in our heart. Look at what you need to deal with. Jesus taught this in Matthew 13, verse 18. Matthew 13, verse 18. Now, listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes, the devil is always interested, and snatches away the seed that was planted in their heart. So the scripture is saying that the... The first issue that you deal with is understanding. It's understanding. It's understanding. 
understanding. And for you to understand, you give it time. I will listen to my mentor, the man that God used to teach me a lot. He was sharing a testimony about a woman who was born with, with I think, her twisted feet from birth or something. Never walked. Then the woman came to him where he was holding a meeting, and he said, this is the first pair of shoes I'm wearing. And they were glad, and they felt, wow, maybe she was very poor, and for the first time she was able to buy um, a new pair of shoes. So they rejoiced with her, and she said, no, you don't understand. This is the first time I'm wearing shoes in my life, and I'm 30-something years old for all those years. So he said, somebody gave me the teaching, the teaching you gave on faith, and I started to listen to it. Now listen about understanding. He said, the first few weeks, I didn't understand what you were talking about. It was Greek to me. But I kept listening. See, that's where perseverance works. I kept, he said, it took weeks before it began to even make sense to me what you were saying. And he said, by the time I listened to it for months, without prayer, nothing, my legs came out, grew out, and was totally healed. The word entered. But it took a while before the word penetrated all the hindrances of, of discouragement and never expecting anything that blocked it. Lack of understanding. No opening for the word to go in. But when the word went in there, it produced faith. The faith produced the work without anything. And she looked for that man and said, look at my leg. I'm wearing a new pair of shoes for the first time in my life. Supposing she stopped the first two weeks, the first three weeks, she won't get that miracle. Yet the Holy Spirit told the church, you got to get this thing through that squall on your heart. You got to. Oh, the spirit of the last days. No, lethargy, leisure, couch spirit, sleep. I mean, a lot of stuff. So if there is no understanding, if there is no understanding, just forget it. The first thing is the understanding. Second Corinthians 4, 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. No understanding. It is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world have blinded the minds of them, which believe not. The devil is actively blinding people's mind, with making them busy watching so many things, listening to so many things. Keeping them busy. Blinding them. He hides it. The word is hidden from people. The Bible says so. And who hides it? He says the devil. In whom the God of this world had blinded the minds of them which believe not. Faith will never arise because he's been blinded. Let the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God should shine unto them. So you see the devil is interested in stopping you from understanding it. He will do everything in his power to stop you from understanding what God is telling you. He will give you so many things, distract you with anything he can so that you, for, you won't understand. Then verse 20, Matthew 13, 20. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and they immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last. They, shall, they fall away as soon as 
they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The devil will put pressure on you. If the word ever comes to you, he will put pressure on you to drop it fast. The scripture says, but since they have, they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems and are persecuted for believing God's word. Because of that word. This trouble came only for one reason. For because of the word. Because of that word. Because you believed it. The trouble, he, he puts the fire more. He puts pressure on you. So you start doubting it. Now, these are the things you need to deal with. And that's why you need to focus on the world and keep feeding it and keep feeding it. If it's putting pressure, you are focusing on it. It's a battle of faith. If you take your eyes off it, he will take your eyes to your problem. I was telling them yesterday at the believers meeting. And I want, if you, if you are hearing me, listen to me real good. If the devil succeeds in refocusing you to your problem, he will defeat you every single time. You can call all the parameters in the world. He will defeat you because it is your faith, not those people's faith that will save you. It's your own faith he's after. They can sing God they want to, but it's your own faith he's coming after. If he focuses you on your problem, your faith doesn't come from your problem. But you need to drag him and focus him on Jesus. Where your faith comes from. Focus him on the word. Insist on the word. Look him on to Jesus. If you drag him to the cross where he was defeated, you whip him in him every, every single time. You defeat him. Mercilessly you defeat him. Your faith will crush him. The name of Jesus will scatter him. But you need to have that resilience to, to go to scripture and keep studying it, keep looking at that very word God gave you. You don't assume, oh, God gave me the word. Okay, I received from the Lord. And then you pull, you go. You will forget it. The devil will come after it. No, you go back to it. You go back. I remember when we had issue in my family, we took one scripture God gave us. Galatians 3, 13 and 14. We studied it morning. Studied it evening. We refused to take our eyes off that scripture until the fruit showed forth. It broke through. The result came. But it took months of consistently focusing on it. But if you don't, the enemy will put pressure on you. The pressure will be hot. You forget what God said. You will forget it. And all you are talking about is what the devil is doing. All your mouth will start yapping about what is doing. And you have a lot of unbelieving believers who will sing along with you, who will sympathize with you. All those pity party is not worth anything. It's not worth anything. The scripture says the prayer shall continually be in my mouth. Not pity party. Praise come when faith is there. Look at verse 22. The seed that fell among the tongues represent those who hear God's word, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. This is what you have to encounter. Because we have all manner of distractions. Some of them are legitimate distractions. Paul said everything is legitimate, but not everything should rule my life. Not everything should rule your life. 
you should prioritize. Otherwise, the spirit of the last days will gradually, 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 gradually draw you away. You, you, you know, you won't even know you are backsliding already. Your enthusiasm will go. You find fault. Start finding fault with Jesus and his church. You are in trouble already. The Bible says nobody speaking by the Spirit calling Jesus a cost. You can't attribute to Jesus anything that's evil. You can't. You, if you love his body, you won't find fault with the body. If you love somebody, love, love does not say evil. Oh, your lover is always correct. If you have a lover, your husband or your wife, if your husband is your lover, if your wife is your lover, and it should be, it should be, oh, it should be. It should be, oh. You don't, you, you, you don't find fault easily. Because love covers a multitude of, of sins. Because, I mean, you are in the body, are you, are you perfect? Nobody's perfect. You find fault because you, your heart is going cold. If you love Jesus, if you love Jesus, you will love his body. Jesus said, if you love one another, then you are my disciple indeed. If you love one another, you will find fault. You will love the brethren. The Bible says we should love the brethren with fervent love. The same body. Members of the same spirit, the same body, the same family, the same father. So look, look at this scripture in uh, Colossians 2 7. Colossians 2 verse 7. Let your roots grow down into him. You water it, you keep watering the seed so the root keeps going down into him and let your life be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth. You were taught, and you will overflow with thanksgiving. If your faith doesn't grow strong in it, the enemy will put pressure on you. I'm telling you now, he does it. That's why people lose their blessings. Let your roots grow down into him. It's, 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 it's commitment. It's fervency. It's, it's being diligent. In, in feeding that word, in watering that word, morning, afternoon. God said, meditate on it day and night, day and night, day and night, day and night. Don't give room now, day and night. Then, then he says, you, you will prosper in the thing you are doing. Day and night. But slothful spirit does not do that. You find reason not. Find reason not. Let your roots grow down in him. Then verse 23. The seed that fell on the good soil, that's where we're all headed. Praise the Lord. Represent those who truly hear and understand God's word. They hear, they make effort. Paul was praying that God will open our eyes. It's all part of the effort. If you really want to understand, you will. You show God is important to you, you will. And understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, even 100 times as much as had been planted. Look at Luke chapter 10, verse 40. Let me remind you about the cares of this world, what it does to us. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Martha. Martha. A lot of Martha Christians. Distracted with more serving. 
And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Mata, Mata, you are worried and troubled about many things. You are. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. I want to take you back again and show you what I read before in that verse 28, 22 of Matthew 13. The seed that fell up among the tongues represent those who hear the word of God, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. That shouldn't be where we should be. We should be people who give ourselves to meditating on the word of God because our life depends on this thing. Our lives, our safety depends on this. Your success in life, good success, depends on this. Depends on this. So 1 Timothy 4.15, meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly, wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. So you see, if you want faith to come, then you need to, you need to know that you need to deal with these things. That's why Peter said, focus on this world until it breaks through the squalor, all these things resisting you, cares of this world. We have a lot of things to attend to. All these things resisting you, all the demonic trying to hide it from you. All those things you need to deal with them because they are real. They are real. Faith comes by hearing and hearing. Comes by hearing and hearing. Comes by hearing and hearing. And Peter, let me take us back to that Peter. Peter emphasized it again, how faith comes. Is um, yeah. Second Peter one nine, nineteen. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark squalor until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart. Again, amplifies it, and we have the prophetic word made firm still. You will do well to pay close attention to it as to a lamp shining in a dismal, squalid, and dark place until the dark, the day breaks through. And the morning star rises, comes into being in your heart. The entrance of thy word, the entrance of thy word, the entrance until it breaks through and enters, clears your fears, clears your worries, clears all some, some of the wrong doctrines you've imbibed over the years that are subtly behind the scene controlling what you do clears all the anger in your heart, all the bitterness and resentment you've carried for one reason or the other. The word of God has to clear all of that. You need to keep doing that. You keep doing that and the word of God begins to be lightening you and say, hey, you are bitter here. You carry anger here. It's not letting me go through. This, this squalor of darkness. You gossip. You gossip. It's not letting me go through. You, you, you'll be shining upon you and those things are being removed. You're, being, you're sitting there and say, yeah, you make peace. You forgive here. You do this. It's, it's penetrating gradually. 
It's penetrating gradually. It's penetrating gradually. It's penetrating gradually until your heart becomes the verse 23 heart. The seed that fell on good soil. Penetrates through that. All this resentment will block you. All this anger in the heart will block you. Actually, the Bible said that anger gives the foothold to Satan. It allows the devil into our hearts, into our lives. All the subject is gossiping and all this lying. And the Bible says, if you want to see good days, stop talking evil. Stop talking evil. Stop telling lies. So you see good days. So these are the things that the word of God will begin to walk through. You keep studying it. You keep, God told you something about something. You keep feeding on it. You see the word showing you squalor, showing you this area, showing you this, revealing this. You keep focusing. This is the thing blocking me. Take it off. You take it away. It keeps going in. It keeps going in. It keeps going in. These are the things that block the word in our heart. And it doesn't enter. It doesn't enter. So the Holy Spirit said there is squalor. There is junk. The Christian needs to listen to God. God says, hey, hey, hey. In my heart, you have junk. It's in my heart too. It's in your heart. But I go doing that. I go doing that. I go doing that. I remember my wife walked into to see me, I think yesterday or two days ago, and I was watching some teaching. And when she walked in, I just paused, got up, sat down, to give her full attention, to respect her, to honor her. I did that. Before I would lie down there and be talking to her with every noise, the TV, and the Lord said, no, no, you're not respecting her. You are not honoring your wife. So you pause it, get up, sit down, respect her, listen to her. The Lord said something to me. He said, when my people act childishly, it grieves me. He said, it grieves me to see my children act childishly. Act totally childishly. Controlled by their anger, talking childishly, talking like the world, thinking like the world. He said, it grieves me. To see my children acting childishly, especially my ministers. When I see them acting like children, it grieves my heart. I woke up. Those are the things in my heart it was showing me. Squalor that won't let the word go in. So if you keep focusing, it's light, light reveals something. It reveals something. It's not only the word he gave you for prosperity or healing. That word for healing or something will be showing you the squalor where it is. Dismantle them. Dismantle them so that we go in. And once it goes in and shines into your heart, it brings in what God wants it to do. Because God sent it, it can't come back void. It can't come back void. And then we need to know that the reason we need to meditate on this word is because forgetful hearers are just not going to benefit. The faith will not be there. Because the word has to come and stay. It has to come and stay. The scripture says, keep it in your heart. Keep it in view. It's not that God told me so, so, so. I bet you forgot it now. No, it has to be there. It has to stay. James 1.25. But whoso looketh into the prophet Lord of liberty and continue therein, he being not a slothful hearer, I mean a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. My prayer is that God will help us to be people who are diligent, fervent in seeking to know the truth so that we will not be walking in presumption and walking in ignorance. For the scriptures say my people are destroyed 
for lack of knowledge. That would be the most disservice you can do to yourself is to walk in ignorance of the most important thing that God says, that's the principal thing. Mary chose one thing that is needful in life. And if Jesus is your Lord and he knows what he's talking about, he's pointing you and me to the one thing that is needful that will resolve every other thing around our life. And that's his word that he gives to us. If we give it attention, faith will come. Faith is not just for healing. Faith is your life begins to be controlled by that word. You believe the word and it controls you. It produces the life of Jesus. It's not just a, a one corner thing, one spot, I got healing here. And I got, no, no, no. It's a totality of your being that the world begins to control. And your life begins to walk in the authority of Jesus, in the victory of Jesus, in the wisdom of Jesus, in the love of Jesus. That's what faith does. It's a holistic thing. It's a holistic thing. But the Lord will help us in Jesus' name. Let us pray. Father, we want to thank you for your word that has come to us, trusting you, Lord, that will help us to really digest this thing so that it will bear fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.